Welcome to the Emerging Biotech Leader, where we help biotech leaders maximize the value of their therapeutics from translational development to product launch. We're your hosts. I'm Kim Kushner. And I'm Ramin Farhood. We are here to help you navigate the pitfalls of the biotech industry and illuminate the path forward. Welcome to today's episode of the Emerging Biotech Leader. We're so excited to welcome our colleague Kate Goldstein to today's show, where we're going to be reflecting on the conversation we had with Scott Zhao, the CEO of Luminopia. We'll hit on two key themes. One is really about the value narrative and the value story, bringing a novel modality to market and really addressing an unmet need in a, a clear space. And second is about patient centricity relative to product market fit. So Kate, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. So to start us out, we really want to have a conversation around finding a true unmet need in the in the market that we could develop a company around and really tell that value proposition story. One thing reflecting on the conversation with Scott that, that we think is really interesting about Luminopia is what a clear narrative they have, which is incredibly unique and rare. And would love maybe just some opening thoughts on what we've seen in the industry and, and how precise Luminopia has been able to be uh, relative to their their value narrative versus you know other organizations and, and more traditional modalities. Um, yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, I would say his clear value narrative was maybe the. I would say actually the second thing that jumped out at me about his story. The first one was probably that our freshman year of college looked incredibly different. Um, <laughs> but but getting back into his storytelling, I, I really feel like he's a master at creating this value story with the patient and the unmet need at, at the center. You know, Kim, you said it yourself. In many ways, his product really sells itself. He's identified this high unmet medical need with a highly motivated stakeholder population. And then he created a technology after the fact that actually works and has the data to support it. So I think, you know, you mentioned this in, in the previous episode, but for lack of a better term, the obviousness of the value, I think, is absolutely critical when trying to create and then go to market with this new class of drug. You know, we're in this highly regulated, highly complex space. There are so many reasons why a product could fail and, and likely will fail. And I think that the one way that we're really going to get truly novel modalities to market for the first time is by telling the story that the entire stakeholder community, you know, the regulators, the payers, the patients, the physicians can all buy into and all get behind when there's something new. So, it, you know, it sounds pretty obvious when we hear Scott talk, but you'd be kind of surprised. I think, you know, Ramin, you can you can probably weigh in here, but a lot of times we start working with an organization and the bones are there, but the full story has not fully been fleshed out. Right, right. No, I totally agree. You bring up really good some really good points. It it seems obvious, uh, but when it comes to the reality, actually focusing on it, uh, it, it doesn't sometimes happen. So obviously, patient centricity has has been around for for a long, long time, and a lot of companies are, are, are doing a great job being focused on the patients and, and what the needs are. What I really liked and enjoyed the conversation with Scott was that he was laser focused on the patient experience, right? And, and that was what kind of drove him to, well, it seems like this is an unmet need, right? And then based on that unmet need, they started thinking about, is there a technology that we can introduce and bring on board that will have an impact and be effective for these patients. And then he engaged with the physicians and the thought leaders in this space. Um, 
and that expression experience is kind of very unique. And I think he was coming to that to that space, to the pharma space, from more from uh, technology, consumer technology, or or enterprise technology aspect that we don't necessarily focus on at the at right at the beginning in pharma when we are thinking about phase one clinical trials and phase two, phase three, and ultimately approval. That made it really, really unique to uh, to his story. And one thing that you know stands out as we hear the story now, to your point, Kate, it, it seems obvious, but I think the most work goes into whether it's you know through medical affairs or HUR or a lot of these functions that we spend a lot of time trying to articulate our value story across the industry. A lot of the work is how do we distill this down into the simplest, most digestible narrative that feels obvious when you hear it back. And I think Scott and, and his team have done a fantastic job at simplifying this down into a really digestible soundbite, if you will, for why this matters, why people should pay attention. And to Ramin's point, telling the story of the product market fit that has gotten them where they are today, um, which is really based on the, this unmet medical need or um, kind of this patient-centric view that I would say is you know, a, a goal for a lot of organizations, but it, it's rarely in the founding story of, of where the organization came from. Yeah, I think another time that I've seen this done incredibly well was at Avexis. So Ramina, you know, I would love your perspective here. But in that case, the value story was so compelling that it, it ultimately not just helped to launch Zoltgensma, but it really helped to catapult gene therapy as a whole. You know, it's like the unmet medical need was about as high as it gets. The data was so incredible. And then I think, you know, there was just this pervasive feeling like it is our duty to get this to patients to help really close the gap in a way that's never been done before. Right. No, it, it was. And I remember those days, it, it was it was almost a mission for all of the employees. I mean, it was a very small company. <clears throat> and then, of course, it, it grew. But it was a mission of everybody because everyone was so invested in what these kids go through. Right, ninety-five percent of the kids by the time they were <clears throat> two years old, they will um, they will not be alive anymore. Of course, the huge huge burden on the patient, on these kids, on their parents. Of course, it was depending on type of this spinal muscular atrophy type one was the most uh, severe one, and that really helped us to again laser focus on what these patients are going through. There was another great product in the market at that time too, and they're still around. But the patient experience with the other product was nothing like one-time gene therapy, right? And that made a huge, huge difference. And even uh, interactions with the regulators, uh, they were suggesting that, you know, having the data and efficacy and safety is great, but we are really also interested in getting the input from the patients and understanding the patient experience and what do they go through and what's important to them. And this is true, not just what we did at the VEXES. I think this is now becoming more and more of the norm and more common that the agencies are very interested in and they engage with the patients, they engage with patient advocacy group to have a better understanding that the product that could potentially come to the market, right? What is their perspective? What do they think? What is their voice? And it's not unheard of that, you know, the agencies reach out to them and have a conversation with them and get their input. That's, it goes back to the point that you were both bringing up. That is how, how critical it is to engage with the advocacy organizations and with the patients to have an understanding of what is their journey? What do these patients go through? 
Uh, I mean, some of the diseases, the diagnosis takes many, many years, especially some of more chronic diseases. And it makes a huge difference if you start thinking about that early on, uh, even as early as your preclinical pre studies, the animal studies that you start thinking, that maybe your entire focus is not on the patient yet, but at least you want to start thinking about if things will work out, how is this going to, what would be the meaning and impactful um, impact for the patients? Yeah, I, I mean, Scott made a comment in his episode where he was, you know, talking about how he wanted to build a product that from the patient experience, they would want to use it no matter what, right? And I almost feel like that is patient centricity 2.0. Right, right, right. I agree. I do wonder, what is the, you know, looking across our industry, what do you feel like is the greatest barriers to us truly having patient centricity from the earliest stages? I mean, you just called out, you know, maybe not in, in the preclinical or phase one, you're, you're thinking about patient experience yet, but, but why not? And, you know, one of the questions that comes to mind and uh, Scott's mentioned this to me in the past was, you know, when was the last time you had an experience related to your health or healthcare that truly delighted you? in the same way you expect your iPhone or something else to delight you. And it made me think a lot about all of these other modalities, whether it's a traditional medical device or a drug that you're getting sent home with. Our industry isn't responsible for every touch point to the patient for prescribing the drug and you know coming home and taking it. But what other elements are we responsible for and what what's inhibiting us from truly being patient-centric in our early development? Do you have some thoughts? You know, it's a really good question. So I can just tell you my opinion, but I, I don't know if it's how valid it is, to be very honest. But I think it's just our industry. So initially, if you go back 20, 30, 40, whatever years ago, right, the focus of was there was so much on met need, right? There wasn't so many pharmaceuticals and drugs out there for every single disease. So it was more focused on... There is, there's no alternative for the patients, regardless of what the, what the therapeutic area was. And the companies in the industry, in our industry, we were rewarded by bringing the product to the market and getting approval, right? And then the patient might have been afterthought, right? Um, and of course, now if you look at it, we're kind of starting going backward, right? Now, we, at that time, we were getting the product approved, and then we get the clinicians and the thought leaders involved. And then we start thinking about actually, is there a, is there a pathway for uh, access and reimbursement, right? And now we're starting getting into actually the end user or the consumer, or in this, in our case, patient. So that's, I think that has been the burden of, of just how our industry have grown. If you look at the consumer tech or enterprise tech, they are so much focused on the end user and the consumer experience. And this is what the mindset that I think Scott had, that they started almost the other way around. And as a result of that, they have this tremendous, you know, success that they are foreseeing, you know, 23 clinical trials in 23 sites, which is amazing. I was, I was looking at an article and I share some of these numbers just because it's in front of me, uh, that is in, in the R&D, just in the R&D space, 85% 85 of trials don't start on time due to the issue with enrollment. Right, and we're talking about enrollment with the patients. Uh, the other number that they had it says thirty percent of patients drop out due to poor experience, non-clinical experience. And the last one was nineteen percent 
of trials close or terminate early because they didn't have enough patients, right? And that, that they estimated that will cost over $800 billion lost in value. Just so I think we are getting there, obviously, may, perhaps not as, as quickly or as fast as we want to. Uh, but these conversations or these stats didn't exist 20, 30 years ago, right? We were not really viewing it that way. That, and that perhaps is kind of like the driver that things are changing now, even though it may be as, as fast as, as we would like it to be. Yeah, I mean, if you think about a healthcare experience that delights you, I mean, often it's a case of what's the least disruptive or what's the least uncomfortable option. Um, and I still think that that's the case with, you know, some of these treatments who are, that are addressing truly debilitating diseases. Um, hopefully the, that gap gets closed. And over time we go from really just what's the best option to treat, you know, disease A, um, or what's the only option to treat disease A to what is the best option to treat disease A. So I, I absolutely am looking forward to the ability in the future to make things um, really more delightful. That would be wonderful. I'm going to, I'm going to throw the question back at you, Kim. What, what do you think that's, um, is kind of like the challenge or, or the burden here. I do wonder if it comes down to where you started this point, Ramin, which is, are our development cycles asking the right questions early enough to change our own perspectives of what success looks like in a clinical trial? So with the history you just gave, initially, our goalpost for success was FDA approval or EMA approval. And then it became, all right, well, someone's going to pay for it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that somebody wants to use it and that the patients are happy with the outcome of having used it. And typically we would make the assumption that if you're treating a disease or something that I have, I'm going to inherently be happy with the outcome because it was successful. And so if you show efficacy, it, it, it should make the patient happy but that may or may not actually be true. And I don't know that we're asking those questions early enough. And we might bring in advocacy groups, we might do patient ad boards, but all too often those are brought on later stages when you're thinking about commercialization planning, or you're really thinking about, you know, what am I gonna need to do to launch this product? And, and how do I think about my messaging before I do it? But I'd almost challenge us all to think about what if we thought about that patient voice in phase one and thought about what does efficacy mean to these patients? It's not just this really interesting, you know, efficacy outcome. Obviously safety is first and foremost for everybody, but then what comes next? What's really going to matter to them? What's going to change their lives? What's going to make them happier and better and more successful in their day to day, whether this is, you know, a life altering therapy or, you know, more of a comfort therapy, you know, obviously it depends on the disease state. Um, but I really do think it, it comes down to how we're even thinking about development. Yeah. And I would argue, um, and perhaps this is really more happening in some forward thinking companies. I would argue that, that that's starting to happen. Um, you know, if we have several possible routes of administration, how can we make sure that we, um, are moving forward with the one that is most palatable to patients. Um, so I, I do hear those conversations, although admittedly, I, I 
can't say that it's uniform across the board. I think that's what we need to strive for. I, I also would um, expect that we have some to learn from you know, those in Europe who have, I think, been a little bit more advanced on the value story piece where value in Europe is not just dollar for dollar value, but if you're showing similar outcomes, which ones are going to have a better outcome for the patient? Which ones do patients prefer? All of those factors matter a lot more. And I think we have a lot to learn on, on what that's going to mean in the U.S. as well. I think even if when you look at, uh, to your point, Kate, with regards to how things are shifting over to focusing on a patient, five, 10 years ago, there was no chief patient officer at most of the companies, right? Now there's a chief patient officer. And this is not just a, a symbolic role. This is actually their function, right? That typically reports into the head of the franchise or it reports even to the CEO of the organization, making sure that that voice and that perspective comes true really strong throughout the whole life cycle from the beginning. Uh, when I started my career, I mean, that, that role not only didn't exist, but to, to Kim's point, it was mostly afterthought. When we're getting to get the product out in the market, then we start having this better understanding of what's happening to the patient uh, and, and how they're thinking and, and what's important to them. Uh, but now we've come a long way. Again, it's not as fast as we like it to be, but the chief patient officers in, in a lot of companies and more innovative and, and forward-thinking companies is, become, is becoming the norm. Absolutely. I also find it amazing to think about, you know, across all of the different modalities that we've had an opportunity to have exposure to or, or talk to guests about. Um, the more we think about the patient centricity, unmet needs, we kind of operate in more of the white space of what the patient is looking for. I think we can get a lot more creative about what solutions we're offering them as well. And so, Coming back to you know, Scott's story and what's gone on at Luminopia, they've been able to be really creative on, all right, well, there's been no innovation in 30 years. What about this technology? It's the first VR to ever be approved by the FDA that didn't stop them from saying it was the best modality or the best mechanism to be able to treat these patients. We just had to think about what the true problem was and the best way to get that outcome. And so if we as an industry can start to shift our mindsets to that, I think we can be a lot more creative about what solutions look like so that everything isn't more of the same. Yeah, this is almost a full circle conversation for me because my first foray into life sciences well over a decade ago was looking at patient centricity initiatives or really started trying to drive patient centricity initiatives and change the paradigm about how are we thinking about value with patients and, and patient impact really at the center of that. Um, and then to both of your points, the fact that we're now in a position to start implementing um, really, you know, core patient impact initiatives early on in the development cycle really just kind of shows how the industry has, has shifted over the last decade or so. And I also think you know, that's a really good point. And I also think that the fact that Scott and, and, and his team at the, at the very early on, they did not have necessarily a healthcare background, they were not physicians or pharmacists or PhDs. So it kind of, it didn't limit them 
to necessarily talk about another drug or another pharmaceutical coming to the market, right? They were just thinking about how can we make the life better for these patients. And one thing that came to, to their mind in, in whatever ways was because I think their background was more mostly in, in digital health and technology, right? And so they, they were completely starting from from somewhere very innovative without the limitation that sometimes when you're looking for something, you get also uh, kind of get uh, blinded or you, you really focus on one solution as opposed to, but what else could these patients have? You could have, be, you could have had folks with scientific background and they might have looked for drugs or pharmaceuticals for these patients, right? So that also helped, helped quite a bit. And I think that's why this whole intersections of technology and healthcare is so fascinating. And I think it's just going to accelerate and, and I just see tremendous, tremendous benefit for patient care going forward. Yeah, I mean, Ramin, to your point, you know, it seems like this has been really a recurring theme um, over the course of, of the podcast episodes where it's like, what does it really take to innovate? And what we seem to get to every time, no matter the discipline or the modality, is there needs to be a sense of creativity and a lack of feeling like hindered by whatever the precedent before you was. I completely agree. And I think that's a, a great place for us to maybe wrap today's episode and, and maybe a challenge for ourselves and our clients and, and those listening to the show as well. What would we do if we could really think about the patient first? And how would we innovate if we weren't limited by you know, the, the questions that we're typically operating under the, you know, the prior experiences that we've all had? Can we open our minds a, a little bit more? And um, definitely learned a lot of that from Scott and, and looking forward to, to hearing how other people continue to innovate in this way. So Kate, thank you so much for joining today's show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Emerging Biotech Leader, an SSI strategy podcast. Join us each month for more conversations with biotech leaders. If you'd like to help navigating the complexities of biotech, reach out to our team at ssistrategy.com. Don't forget to hit subscribe and leave a review.